Hi, everyone. I'm Wendy Dean. And I'm Simon Talbot. And this is Moral Matters. Over the past three years, uh, Wendy Dean and myself have gotten very interested in the ideas behind moral injury and healthcare. And during that time, we've uh, learned a lot of different things and spoken to a lot of different people. And our goal with this podcast is to introduce you to the idea of moral injury, both in healthcare and other sectors as well. So we've spoken to people across all walks of life. Lawyers, doctors, nurses, veterinarians, educators, administrators, and they all say that this is their language too. So we're going to invite you into these conversations so that we all understand what moral injury is and what we can do about it. In order to understand why we're doing this, I think you need to know who we are. So I'm a psychiatrist, and I spent 10 years practicing medicine uh, as a clinician. And during that time, I tried to find ways to make sure that I could practice in a way that was good for my patients. And I, I continually changed my practice to try to adjust for some of the challenges that I was facing with how medicine was structured. Over the course of that time, I changed from an academic practice to um, an employed practice to my own private practice and found each of those challenging in their own ways. Eventually, I decided that I would go out and try to influence medicine in a different way. And I worked in research funding oversight and eventually moved to become an executive at a large nonprofit. All during that time, I was thinking about how can we make medicine better, technologically, ethically, and sustainably make practice better for everyone in healthcare. And that has been, that has been my goal for the past decade. So I originally trained in New Zealand. I uh, began my medical school there in the 1990s and then moved to the United States in the early 2000s, where I worked for two years in a research lab and then moved to the Northeast to train in plastic surgery. I now work as a reconstructive plastic and hand surgeon at a large uh, academic medical center in the Northeast and also run a lab where I am the director of upper extremity transplantation and work on nerve recovery and psychosocial outcomes in patients after major upper extremity trauma. Over the last few years, Wendy and I have uh, spoken a lot about the topic of moral injury, and as I've gone through this process, I've not only seen moral injury in myself and colleagues, but also experienced uh, this going on in the healthcare system. And together, we started talking a lot about what we were seeing across many different healthcare facilities. We were seeing that our colleagues were really challenged with how they were practicing medicine. The common conversation that has swirled around clinician distress has been about burnout. And when we started thinking about it together, we started questioning what the basis of that term was. And, and was it an accurate assessment of what people were really struggling with? Because our friends would say to us, yes, I'm distressed, but really it's not so much burnout. It's something different. I don't have a name for it. And so we started thinking about, really, what's the essence of the distress that our friends, our colleagues, um, our care providers are facing? 
And when we boiled it all down, it didn't look a lot like burnout. Around three years ago, when Wendy and I started talking about uh, the trouble that physicians were facing, there was a big push to measure burnout in doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals. And the focus on burnout rapidly turned into a focus on resilience, how we could make our staff tougher, how we could make them more able to cope with the things that they were seeing. And as we spoke to the colleagues around us, we realized that many of them were already highly resilient. The vast majority of them had gone through tremendous lengths to get through medical school, get through residency, and were working extremely hard. And they loved their jobs. They loved taking care of patients. They were very happy working hard. The long hours didn't bother them. But the things they were struggling with were the things that were getting in the way of them taking great care of patients. And we realized at that time that there may be a different term or a different uh, genesis for what was going on with their distress. The other thing that we were noticing was that no matter how much effort leadership at various hospitals put into addressing this challenge of clinician distress, it wasn't helping as much as they hoped. And what we started to think was, if those measures to address clinician distress aren't helping, maybe we need to start thinking about a different approach. And maybe, thinking as physicians, if, if you have a presumptive diagnosis and you've tried multiple treatments and it's not working, then maybe what we need to reconsider is what that diagnosis is, whether it's a correct diagnosis or not. So one of the things that Simon and I were thinking about was that when physicians are faced with a diagnosis that they think is right, but then they try over and over again to treat that diagnosis in various ways, and none of those ways work, then the question that they have to come back to is, was it the right diagnosis? Exactly. So, Wendy, the example we sometimes give is of somebody who comes in short of breath. And patient comes in short of breath, and you have to decide whether they're short of breath because of heart failure or pneumonia or asthma or COVID. And until you know why they're short of breath, it's really hard to treat it. And that's kind of what was the genesis of this idea, right, Wendy? Right. And, and when you're treating heart failure, it's not going to be successful if somebody has pneumonia. And so talking about the right diagnosis makes it really critical to finding the right treatment. And so that's why we came in and, and started saying, well, if burnout isn't the exact right diagnosis, no matter what we do to treat it, it's not going to get better. Now, that's not to say that burnout doesn't exist. When we first started that, a lot of people said to us, well, we understand the term burnout and people are using the term burnout. And so we started working on a bit of a framework for this and came up with the concept that moral injury by itself doesn't happen overnight. You start out with lots of small issues where you have moral distress from each of them. And each of those episodes of moral distress build up and become what some people call moral residue. And with enough moral residue, you end up with moral injury. And those people that are repeatedly exposed to moral injury eventually burn out. Right. It's like the, there are many ways that you can get to burnout. There are lots of roads that lead to burnout, but the highway is moral injury that's unrecognized and unattended. And one of the tricky things about this is that the symptoms are kind of the same. The ideas of depersonalization, exhaustion, lack of fulfillment, and cynicism are the same symptoms that you see in somebody who's burned out. 
as somebody who's sustaining moral injury. But we tend to think of burnout as being the end stage of moral injury, and that's why those same symptoms apply to both. Yeah. So, so when I go into work every day, and I know that it's going to be a fight to get my patients or my clients or my students what they need to be successful, and I know that I'm going to face a fight every single day, that is exhausting. That's the first symptom of burnout. When I consistently can't get them what they need, that makes me feel like I'm ineffective, which is the second symptom of burnout. And then it becomes very hard to watch what happens to my client, my patient, or my student when they consistently can't get what they need. And so in order to protect myself from that pain that they're experiencing, I separate myself from them. And that's the third symptom of burnout, which is depersonalization. Wendy, one of the things that uh, a lot of people come to us and say is, um, the things that I'm struggling with aren't one single episode. It's not one moral dilemma with one patient or one issue that I face in my clinic. It's all the little things. It's seeing patients and repeatedly having to do their prior authorizations, which takes time away from me and the patient. It's using a computer screen where I'm focused on the computer screen and documentation more than actually working directly with the patient and more than looking them in the eye. And those are just two very small things, but it's all sorts of little things. Um, I think that it is very hard for people to fully grasp the concept that um, this is something that builds up over time. This is something that's lots of little uh, issues that eventually contribute to them sustaining moral injury. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I, I think there are some times when people experience moral injury as the result of one catastrophic event that transgresses their deeply held moral beliefs. But in medicine and in a lot of other sectors, it's not from that one egregious event. It happens by a thousand little things that happen day after day, week after week, month after month. And it's almost that, that very slippery slope where it seems like at first those things, those little things really don't matter so much. But when they amass together, it becomes a much bigger challenge to how we can conduct ourselves and continue to think of ourselves as moral beings. Right. And I think at this stage, it's probably worth at least trying to define moral injury in some way. And the definition we tend to use is that from Litz. And the, the quote that we use is that of perpetrating, failing to prevent, bearing witness to, or learning about acts that transgress deeply held moral beliefs and expectations. And in the case of a physician, those deeply held moral beliefs are the oaths we take to put our patients first. And so when we are either seeing or participating in things where we feel that the patient isn't completely first, that is the type of time that we experience moral injury. Correct. And, and when we're up against a system that seems to us a, a slightly faceless entity that we can't really identify, where are the levers that we can change, that we can pull to, to help change the system and make a difference to our patients? That's where we get frustrated, where we start to lose our sense of being able to really stay true to who we believe we are and to why we went into medicine in the first place. Right. And over the last 
10 to 20 years, there have been a bunch of things that have come in that have contributed to this uh, advancement of moral injury, if you like. And to name a few of those, the increase in following quality metrics, less autonomy for physicians, less latitude to our practices, uh, real focus on finances and trimming staff down to minimum levels, a focus on patient satisfaction, which doesn't always align with the best patient care, the increase in the use of electronic health records, which take away our time and face time with patients, and a very strong link with productivity as being the metric that we focus on. And so these things all together combine to create an environment where uh, there are times that it's uh, hard to always see the patient being put first and again, contribute to moral injury. Well, and I think the the other thing that has happened acutely, so we we have this long-standing issue with clinician distress that's built up over the past decade or two. And then we layer on top of that what's happened with the COVID pandemic. And we have a different set of moral moral challenges in the setting of resource constraints that are facing hospitals and healthcare systems. And so clinicians are not just facing these long-term minor challenges to what they would like to do, but they're also very really being put up against resource constraints. The number of ventilators that are available, the beds that are available, whether experimental therapies are available. And it is putting an acute stressor on a chronic challenge or a chronic condition. Our, uh, our goal with this podcast is to both educate you about moral injury and bring you along on this discussion about moral injury. And the way we plan to do that is to take the experiences of lots of different people. So you'll hear us talking to other physicians, talking to nurses, talking to administrators in our hospital, and perhaps most importantly, talking to patients and people who have been affected directly by moral injury. And through their stories, we're hoping to better understand and better explain how these uh, issues are affecting individuals and how they're affecting the system as a whole. But it's not going to be just boring education, right? It's going to be fun conversations. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So what we find is the more people we talk to, the more we realize that the challenges people face across sectors are so similar. People in law and education and veterinary medicine are facing the same difficulties that physicians are facing. And when we can all talk about what our common challenges are, we can work together across sectors to try to find solutions that will help all of us and that will make medicine better, that will make our animals better, that will make public defense better. So part of what we're going to do in these conversations is not just to point out what the challenges are, but also look to people to say, what are your creative approaches to making your jobs better? And what have you found that really works? And how can we help each other to get that done? Because that's really where we're going to have our success in transforming moral injury. Right. We'd like to cross-pollinate the ideas from different sectors who are experiencing similar problems to try and improve these issues in different areas. Yeah. So when I was, when I was working in medical technology innovation, one of the things that we found consistently was that when you brought people together from different specialties, when you brought the ear, nose, and throat physicians 
together with the orthopedic surgeons. Um, they, they each brought their own different perspective to a problem and came up with a unique solution that neither one of them might have thought about on their own. But together, they came, out, they came up with this brilliant approach. And we're hoping that that's what will happen with moral injury as well. The more of these conversations we have, the more ideas we can bring from outside perspectives, um, I think the better we'll be able to think in a new way and, and approach the problem towards a unique solution. So Simon and I have been having a conversation together today, and we would like to invite you to join in the conversation. If you want to learn more about moral injury, you can find us at fixmoralinjury.org. Or you can speak to us on Twitter at Wendy Dean MD, at Simon Talbot MD, or go to Facebook, Moral Injury of Healthcare. So join us next time when Simon and I share with you what our own personal experiences have been with moral injury. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Thank you.